0: You're listening to the Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who'll help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer.
1: Holidays and
0: you know those things are, are mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients.
1: Welcome to The Bloodline with LLS. I'm Shona. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today I'm recording on-site at CancerCon in Denver, Colorado. Here with me today is Elisa Baldwin, a young adult acute myeloid leukemia survivor. Elisa will share how cancer not only impacted her life, but helped to redefine her calling, leading her to work for the Portland Light the Night team. Elisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So for those of you who don't know, CancerCon is an event held every year by Stupid Cancer, which is an organization that provides support and resources to young adult cancer survivors and young adult cancer patients. LLS has staff that attends every year, as we have probably over 40%, would you say, of the CancerCon attendees are blood cancer patients and survivors. So we provide on-site resources and counseling and support to the patients who attend the conference. So I wanted to ask you, Elisa, why do you think that CancerCon is so important for young adult survivors?
0: Oh my gosh. CancerCon is, uh, this is my second year attending and it has been so tremendous for my personal growth in my cancer journey. And I love my friends and family. They're so amazing, but there's so many parts that they just don't understand. They just don't understand as much as they try to, and they be empathetic, and uh, it's so nice to come here and be around so many other cancer survivors, and I don't have to explain it. I just bring it up, and they understand. They just know. And, like, that's it. And it's so nice, and it's almost an indescribable feeling to be here, and I'd hope that every young adult cancer survivor would be able to do it because they really do address all these different issues that we're going through. And I'm able to connect with people on all these different things that they're going through as well. And, you know, again, other people in my life just don't understand. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, as much as they try to, <laughs> it, it just doesn't happen. And so
1: CancerCon just means so much. Right. Those who are going through the experience and can really understand what you're going through. And it is It's also a completely judgment-free zone, which is Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I love coming here as well, seeing how everyone interacts, kind of relaxed and letting themselves be who they really are around people who understand what exactly it is they're going through. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your diagnosis of AML. Mm -hmm. What was going on during the time that you were diagnosed? Oh gosh.
0: I guess this could all start back in October of 2015. I had I'd lost a bunch of weight the previous year and started I started gaining weight even though I was eating really healthy exercising every day and then I also started having night sweats and I couldn't explain it to anybody but I just knew something was wrong I just knew it in my gut something was wrong and so by January I started to continue to gain weight pretty rapidly and have uh it had become painful and so I finally made an appointment with a gastroenterologist because I've had irritable bowel syndrome for over a decade. And so I just thought I was having just a ridiculously long flare up. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, (laughs) but I know something's wrong. And so I finally got in, that takes forever. So I finally got in, in the end of March (laughs) and she did, she gave me a bunch of over the counter stuff to do. And then said, Hey, why don't you come check in with me in four months? Let me know how you're doing. And right as I was walking out the door, she said, you know what, let's just do a blood test. We'll check for thyroid disorder, or celiac disease, maybe something else is causing the weight gain. Because that was a big concern because, you know, I'm a healthcare professional. I know that I should not be gaining weight like this. And mm-hmm. I shouldn't be gaining weight rapidly when I'm eating this well. And I was training for a triathlon at the time and this doesn't this isn't right. And I got a call a few days later saying that my test results came back and everything was normal except for my white blood cells were low. So didn't know why my white blood cells were low and that got testing going with my primary doctor one test every week because they should replenish themselves. And then they still weren't going back up. So I got sent to a hematologist. He did a very extensive blood test. And then he said, you know, let's do, let's get on the calendar, a bone marrow biopsy, just in case this test doesn't tell us what we need to know. And I was headed off to Europe mm-hmm. in two weeks for a solo trip. And so I said, can we just do it when I come back? And so we put it on the calendar tentatively and I got a call one week later. I was at a conference and saying that we need to schedule the bone marrow biopsy quickly. And so I was like, well, that's a concern. And they just moved up my tentative biopsy by four weeks. And so I went back home and got, I went in and of course they, they don't tell you anything over the phone. Right. So I walk in the doctor's office and uh, he said, you either have leukemia or an autoimmune disorder called Sjogren's. And he was describing the symptoms for Sjogren's, and I'm like, none of that fits. So I pretty much knew at that point, without actually confirming it, that I had leukemia. And I still decided to go to Europe in five (laughs) days. And uh, so, yeah, so I said, you know, you can keep in touch with me over email. If anything comes up, I can always get on Skype and call you. And while I was in Europe, I started having some swelling and also seemingly got an infection um, as well from a bug bite and uh, so I called him and was emailing him pretty concerned about it but he you know he and of course he was concerned he did not like me being there he Mm. was not a fan Mm. but I was gonna go regardless and then I was in Lisbon Portugal I was about one week into my trip and I woke up and I was flying to Norway that night and I decided to, you know, put my bags in the hostel and then head out down the town. So right when I was walking out the door, I f- realized, oh my gosh, I haven't checked my email yet. You know, when you're traveling and you're without service, you go Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi. So you take right, advantage of it. Right. And so I looked up my email and there's an email that says lab results from my doctor. And it was pretty simple. It said, you have acute myeloid leukemia and you need to come home. And, uh, oh man, it was, when I found out it was 2.30 in the morning, back home. So, and again, I was traveling by myself. You were alone. You
1: were traveling and you're alone.
0: Yeah. Wow. So I, I didn't have anybody to talk to. I forwarded the email to my parents. I hated that they had to wake up to that, but they knew, they knew that it was a possibility. They knew about all the testing coming up to it. And then I, you know, texted a few friends and then I just sat in the hostel and cried for, I think probably about an hour. And, uh, and then, you know, I was like, I'm just, I have to get out of here. So I'm just going to continue to go out and and look around Lisbon. And I did that until I knew that my parents would be awake. And then I found an uh, indoor food hall that I knew had Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. So I went and Skyped my parents. And I actually got there and there was an email from my dad saying, we're awake. You can Skype whenever you're ready. And uh, so I Skyped them. I don't even remember that Mm. call. Um, It's a, A I think I've completely blocked it out at this point. Um, I remember doing it and I remember seeing them. And then my dad told me later that I guess he brought up chemo and I just totally lost it. Completely lost it. So my my mom's a travel agent. So she started working on getting me a flight back. I still flew to Norway that night. And so I got diagnosed on Wednesday and I flew back Saturday Mm. and... Started treatment on Tuesday. My doctor is an AML researcher. He's on the beat AML team, which is pretty cool. And so he only comes in clinic one day a week. So they're like, if you're stable enough to wait till Tuesday, we want you to start on Tuesday. And so I went in and got admitted, and I was in for 32 days for my induction. Wow. And then went home and had four more rounds of treatment. There was um, there three double days. And cause I did out, they let me do outpatient cause I only lived 30 minutes from the hospital, mm-hmm. which was awesome, but it was a lot. So it was three double days with two rest days in between. And so chemo every 12 hours and my family would come up. My parents would come up every time they lived three and a half hours away mm-hmm. for chemo week. And we would do stuff on the off day, you know, yeah. like go wine tasting. Mm-hmm. They never told me I couldn't drink. So, <laughs> you know, so I went wine tasting on the days I didn't have chemo and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, tried to do other stuff, tried to. Have as much fun as I could on those days, because when they went home, I I was lonely and I right. had to stay at home and I was neutropenic and I couldn't do anything. Couldn't do anything, and uh, and it sucked. Right. So I actually, I grew to like chemo weeks as hard as they were and as tiring as they were, because I got to I got to do something and my my levels were usually good enough to to be out in the public. At that
1: time, and your family was and with my you. family was with me, which yeah. is so important to have that support when you're going through something like chemotherapy. Yes, what was going through your mind during all of this? What were your emotions like? How are you feeling? Oh my gosh! I mean,
0: there's nothing that can t- really prepare you for a cancer diagnosis. Right? Nothing. I had. I mean, I again, like, I knew, I knew that I had leukemia. I knew that it, I knew in my gut that I had it, and um, you know, I s- tried to prepare myself over the next week for this coming. And I honestly, I didn't expect to actually get results during my trip because we had talked about, you know, potentially getting them after my trip, but obviously with acute, mm-hmm. <laughs> you kind of have to get them and you need to get home. And so I, you know, the day that I found out, I mean, it was just, it was just devastating because it was just a, you know, everything that I knew in my life was, had essentially just, it, it was a, it was a break in time essentially so it was like there was before cancer and I knew that there was after cancer now or during cancer and there's a whole new part of my life now and everything that I knew is now different Mm -hmm. and it's a hard thing to think about that you know that from this second everything will be different right everything in your life and while I was going through it, I'm a, I'm a fairly happy and like, positive <laughs> person. So I felt like I, I stayed pretty positive and kind of just breezed through it. I remember my one of the nurses in the hospital, he's like, you're just kind of here and just kind of doing it. And I was like, well, I don't know what the alternative is. I mean, just sitting here being miserable right. is, is essentially the alternative. And I mean, during the time, again, like I was lonely. Um, I lived with a roommate who didn't really talk to me. <laughs> and, you know, I was... On the times when I was neutropenic, I was just just at home. I could barely even go to the grocery store. And my one goal for my day was to just be able to cook for myself. That was it. That's all I wanted to do was to walk downstairs and cook for myself. And so, you know, it was hard going through that. And I felt empty when I was not around people. Mm. And uh, I loved being with my friends. I never felt like I was fake with my friends or family. I genuinely loved being around them. But it was hard and losing my hair probably was the hardest part it was worse than i think that was worse than chemo mm. that was worse than diagnosis day that was the hardest part and again it's hard to explain to people because they're like oh you have like such a cute head like you look great bald and you a look great with short hair and i was like but i don't look like me
1: exactly at the end of the day i want to look like me and you mentioned before you're already going through so many changes you're already Like you said, there's a before cancer and after cancer where, you know, you thought your life was going to go a certain way. So there's a certain amount of like a grieving process that kind of goes along with that. Like, well, things are going to be different from here on out. Mm -hmm. And then when you look in the mirror, it's like a reminder, a visual reminder of how things are different and how like this isn't something you can just. Put away in the back of your mind. This is it's more real. Oh yeah, you know? it was
0: a daily visual reminder, and it still it it almost still is to some degree with my with my hair growing longer is now a little bit below shoulder length. But I gained a lot of weight during with the leukemia. Uh, it caused weight gain uh, with water retention. And then the chemo caused weight gain. So I got a double whammy there. And then steroids caused weight gain. So, you know, my face was fat. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you know, I gained everything that I'd lost that year before. All gained back in mostly water weight. And I could see it in my face every day. Every single day. I could see it in my body, in my arms. And it's a daily reminder. I mean, there's no getting away from it when you don't look like you did. Before the cancer and, right. uh, and watching my hair grow, I actually got, I got extensions when my hair was three inches long. I found one person in Portland that would give me extensions and it was so nice to be able to like really look in the mirror finally and be like, okay, it's like, I, I feel a little bit more like me. I have longer hair again and, and this is about as close as I'm, as I'm going to get
1: to feeling like me, but it is still, it was still a daily reminder. Right. And I I think it's important to talk about, you know, I hear people say, you know, I do a lot of work with our online patient community and they'll go through things like losing their hair or certain oral medications can increase edema around their eyes or they just don't feel like they look like themselves anymore. And then they almost feel guilty for caring about that, especially Mm -hmm. if they're doing rather well, especially if they're on a medication that's, prolonging their life, they almost feel guilty that they're consumed with this thing that they think is vanity. But we bring up an excellent point. It's okay to feel, it's okay to look in the mirror and feel sad that you don't look like yourself.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I had um, I'd met an AML survivor who's in her fifties, and uh, she was three years ahead of me. And I remember I texted her one day, and I was like, I need to, I need to talk. I call her like my AA sponsor, so I I called her on shave day. I called her, you know, when I saw some article about fertility that I was upset about. I called her, and I called her with this that I. My hair was short. I was working with a, a foundation that does photo shoots for cancer patients. And I was on the board of that, and they wanted to start using adults, and so they asked me to to be in a photo shoot, and and uh, I was so stressed about my hair. I think my hair was about an inch and a half at that point, and everybody's like, "But it's so cute! I don't understand why you don't like it." And I just I so I called my friend, and I was like, "I just don't understand why nobody gets it. Nobody understands, and I'm and I'm tired." of explaining this to people and I just I just wish they would know what it was like right and and I think that's why this again this community is so nice because they totally know what it is like
1: they 100 percent understand yeah. yeah yeah so while you were going through treatment diagnosis and treatment Did you go any place for education or or support throughout the process?
0: So during my actual treatment, I, well, probably about a, a couple months, I actually didn't know much about LLS. And I think that... You know, one of the little brochures was stuck into my, like, huge two-inch packet of papers that they gave me when I entered the hospital. And, I, I mean, I saw that pack of papers, and I just told my – I told my dad, I was like, please just go get a folder and put them in. I don't want to read any of it. I don't I, – I have no desire to look at any of this. So I didn't know about any of the programs, which, I mean, looking back is <laughs> kind of frustrating – And then about probably two, three months in, I was really kind of feeling like I wanted to, you know, pay it forward and and help cancer patients. I don't know why I was thinking that I could like go ahead and start volunteering (laughs) at like two months into my treatment, but I decided to look up LLS and said that I was interested in volunteering and got hooked up with uh, Laura Brown in my chapter. Who's amazing, isn't and, she? Yeah, yeah, she's so amazing. <laughs> so she act- after I had started talking to her, she was actually coming to Portland because she's based in Boise. And so I met up with her and kind of talked to her all about it. And I was excited. I, frankly, I was like signing up to be a First Connection volunteer, which again, like... Now I look back and I'm like, oh, gosh, why did I why did I sign up to be a First Connection volunteer while I'm still in treatment? Um, You know, if anything, I need to be talking to a First Connection volunteer. Exactly.
1: And and for those, um, I will talk more about our our resources that we (laughs) offer at the end of this podcast. But I will go ahead and explain that First Connection is a program that we offer It's the Patty robinson Coffin First Connection program where you are matched with someone of a similar age and diagnosis, and you can talk over the phone and get support and advice and just talk to someone who's been through it so you know what to expect. So yeah, for the rest of it, I mean, I just, I kind of
0: found my own way and I had to look up things on my own. I had to find wigs for myself. I've been a healthcare professional for a long time. So like I knew about nutrition and I knew about this stuff and exercise, but Yeah, so I finished my treatment in early November, on November 5th, and, you know, we're coming into Thanksgiving time, and and I love Thanksgiving and Christmas, like, love Thanksgiving. So I was excited to be with my family, you know, but at the same time, I was like, I'm not particularly looking forward to it. And as I'm getting closer to Thanksgiving, I'm thinking, like, I'm still, like, not really excited. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being with my family, and that's about it. And then Thanksgiving passed, and then we're into the Christmas season. And I mean, I'm one of the freaky people that like love Christmas. I mean, more than Thanksgiving. I'm frankly we could as far as I'm concerned, I could start decorating after Halloween if like right. the person that I live with was okay <laughs> with this.
1: You know, and, you and just show. skip Thanksgiving altogether. <laughs> you know. You this, the Christmas decorations in the store in September and you're
0: like, Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Like I love Christmas. And and I noticed after Thanksgiving that I was finding no joy in the Christmas season. And I was like at at that point I was like, this is a problem. Right. I don't know what's going on and again I felt genuinely happy when I was with my family and friends and then when I was by myself I felt completely empty inside and so at that point I I reached out to the social worker on the inpatient floor that I had been on and uh, I was telling her about it and she was like oh yeah it's totally normal for patients to be strong and positive throughout their treatment and then once it's done then they break down we see
1: this so often at LLS. It's one of the things that I am constantly seeing and have a, have a great interest in because it, you wouldn't think it would go that way, right? But mm-hmm. it's you almost go into survival mode when you're in treatment. You're like this warrior. And then afterwards, you have all this kind of fallout to deal with. And sometimes it manifests almost as PTSD for mm-hmm. some patients. It's so, so common. And I'm glad that your social worker normalized that for you because... It's something that we see all the time that our patients go through.
0: Yeah. And it was so good. And um, she had referred me to a counselor. And once I started seeing her, I mean, things just got so much better. And at some point, she's just like, listen, you never never actually emotionally dealt with any of this. Mm -hmm. You got diagnosed and you just went through it and you never processed anything. And so she had me start writing in a journal, putting pictures in there. So back in October, like when things started happening and I started getting worried and again put pictures of my trip put pictures of like all the different points in there and write about how I felt about them and write about how I felt about each moment that I was writing about and uh, finally process kind of every bit of it and that was so helpful for me I was still getting fairly regular triggers as well you know I remember I came in one day and I was like yeah, I, so I, I got triggered with this one thing and I just kind of totally pushed it away. And she was like, no, 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 no. Please don't ever do that. Don't do that. Don't push it away. She's like, that's why you're here. That's mm-hmm. why you're here because you've pushed everything away. And she's like, when that stuff comes, I just want you to feel what you're going to feel. Just let it ride and it will be done. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember this one, it was the worst trigger that I had. And I had been invited to my aunt's church to watch a movie. And God bless them, but they didn't think about to give me a warning because there was somebody in the movie dying of leukemia, and they didn't think about it, and I, you know, I felt bad, so I actually never brought it up with them, and I'm sure they're going to hear this. (laughs) Sorry, Susie. (laughs) But, you know, they this moment, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching him, and there's this key moment in the movie, and everybody else is crying, you know, and he's, I mean, he's dying and in the hospital, and, I mean, I just... I I not only started crying, but it was like flashbacks. It was just like boom, boom, boom. I mean, just one after the other after the other. And I was sitting there thinking like... I just, I, I can't, I can't deal with this. I just want to get out of here. But then I was like, I don't want to cause a scene. And <laughs> like, I wanted to jump out of my seat and run out. I just like, it was the worst that I'd ever had. Like with the flashbacks and, you know, cause up until that point, I was like, I've dealt with this fine, no problem. And then that happened. And I, I told my therapist about it and she was like, you know, that's what you need to do though. You, you just need to feel whatever feelings come and it's okay and then it will be done. And she was right. It was eventually done. And then I moved on with my day. And so that was so, that was so helpful for me. But kind of going back to what the social worker had said to me, if it's so normal, it's frankly shocking that it's not in every care plan, every survivorship care plan. Once you're done with treatment, you should be Counseling should be recommended. Should be like highly recommended. Absolutely, it was never brought up to me. I was like, I shouldn't find have to find my way there. That should be like me. Like this is totally normal for you. You should go to counseling. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to be hard. If anything, like I feel like counseling should have been brought up, like you know, throughout the whole
1: thing on day one. (laughs) You know,
0: I remember I came in when I I got my biopsy results, telling me that I had no evidence of disease and was cancer free and. I mean, I was, I was crying and my doctor had walked out of the room and I was there with his, his nurse manager. And I was just like, I'm, I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with this. I should be like so excited, but I don't know how to deal with this. And again, this is middle of December, right when I'm like feeling, you know, kind of depressed. And he came back and he was like, I don't know why you're sad. (laughs) I don't know what to say. I don't know. But I, I feel like that it should it should be so normalized if it's something that's so common and it's a normal thing to happen that that should be part of every single every single care plan for any age i don't know about little children but like you know anybody who would need help like processing this stuff because i'm sure this happens to almost everybody
1: right you know and you know you what you're talking about, like I said, we see it all the time with patients, and it almost seems as if you got the information that you were in remission, then you didn't know what to do after that. It's almost as if there's no roadmap for like what your new normal is supposed to look mm-hmm. like after cancer treatment. I feel like the world maybe thinks that you're supposed to be fine, like you're yeah. better, you survived, mm-hmm. but that's not the case, and there really isn't one roadmap for every person for what that new normal looks like. Your new normal involved volunteering, light the night could you talk more about that and how you came to that volunteer yeah
0: so actually I had moved from volunteering I was um I kind of stayed on as a first connection volunteer after I talked to Laura that initial time and uh never got matched with anybody (laughs) throughout that time and then about one year into remission I started feeling like I'm I feel like I'm missing my calling a little bit and I really want to I feel like I need to I need to transition to working with in the cancer world, preferably with blood cancer, but I don't know. And I called Laura up and I said, what, you know, this is kinda, I'm looking into maybe like patient navigation or something. And and she's like, we don't have, you know, we don't have paid positions for this, but there's volunteer positions. So I signed up to do the patient and family outreach volunteer and went through all the training and everything. And then the job for LLS Mm -hmm. popped up with Light the Night. And I had been to Light the Night as a participant that previous year in 2017 and and just loved it. And so I ended up getting the job and it was to do logistics for the event which is 6,000 people. And a pretty big event and then also work with teams for fundraising. And so a little bit about Light the Night. So Light the Night is it's our biggest campaign of the entire year and it's it's the community event of the year. All the other ones are kind of very specialized. Light the Night is the community event. That's where we're bringing out the survivors. My personal goal is to get more survivors and patients to this event. It was something that was so impactful and emotional for me. So it's an evening walk, and we walk with illuminated lanterns. And there's this beautiful lighting ceremony and generally a fireworks show in most chapters at the end of it. And all the survivors get into this circle, and they all light up their white lanterns and raise them high. And then surrounding them, the supporters with their red lanterns and those people that have lost somebody with their gold lanterns all turn on their lanterns. And so you have, you look around and you see all these other survivors and patients with their white lanterns, proud to be there. And then all your supporters round them. And so it's so special. It was special for me to look back and see my family, you know, five feet away from me Mm -hmm. with their red lanterns. My supporters and uh, it's such a cool moment and then you go for the walk and we came back and had the fireworks show and it's just uh it's just so special and I hope that you know more survivors and patients can experience that but yeah that's like the night in a nutshell
1: (laughs) so I have to ask because now I'm you know so invested in your story you were Mm -hmm. saying earlier that you know you you felt when you were around friends and family but when you're by yourself you felt empty and you didn't know why has your work with LLS and working with Light the Night has that helped that feeling dissipate?
0: Yes, definitely. So it has been so special to work for LLS, you know, paying it forward,
1: mm-hmm. in a
0: sense. And I have loved, loved working with, being able to work with current patients and survivors and talk to them, and you know, share stories and connect with them in that way. I'm the only survivor in my chapter. And at that, at our chapter office, and it's been so special to do that. But also know that I'm making a difference with raising money. AML has a very low survival rate. The survival rate right now is, I believe, around 29% overall. And uh, I have a 70% chance with my age and my gene mutation, which was a highly favorable one. But I know other people aren't as lucky. Mm-hmm. I know that I responded very well to the conventional treatment that has been around for 40 years. But a lot of people don't. And, you know, I think about this all the time, that those people need a chance. They need something that, that is going to work. I've told a lot of people that I've met here that I'm like, there's that one thing out there that you're waiting for. You know, maybe it won't come in the next year or two. Maybe it will come five years. Just just hang on. Mm-hmm. Hang on till then. Something's going to come out. Something's going to work at some point. And, you know, I think that's all that we can do is hope that, hope that, you know, if something happens, that there will be something that works out there. I hope for selfish reasons, if I ever relapse, that something will work for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's, it's been so meaningful to not only work with patients and survivors, but also, also really feel like the money that we're raising now, 10, 15 years down the line is going to save a lot more people. And that's so, it's so special to feel that. So yeah, I love, I love what I do. I love working with LLS. Light the night is the perfect thing for me to be working mm-hmm. on because I can make doing logistics. I can make the walk more special for survivors. We started a survivor tent this year and had a reserved seating tent for our less mobile patients. So, you know, it's it's thinking about it on a patient level. And, you know, we worked with, I started recently with our patient access team to start bingo up on the blood cancer floor at one of our local hospitals. And it's just so much fun. It's so much fun to be involved in that and bring smiles to their faces. And also go into them on the same floor that I was treated on as a survivor and say, you know what? There is life after 14K. There is life after cancer. And I saw like the smiles under their faces When, um, you know, I, I told them that, and we had a patient access volunteer there who was also treated on that floor. And she told them that, and it was really, it was a really neat moment. So to bring those kinds of programs to the people that are fighting it right now, it's really special.
1: It sounds like you really like found your calling Mm -hmm. throughout this whole ordeal. Yeah. Before we wrap up, are there any other just pearls of wisdom you would give to other young adult survivors or those currently going through treatment? What would be the takeaway that you would want them to know? Oh my gosh.
0: I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think that connecting with other people that have gone through that is so important. It's so important to reach out and get the help that you need. I would, you know, I would hope that more young adults would come to this thing. And I, and as I run the social media pages for our chapter and I'm trying to, you know, kind of increase the young adult movement in my town, but you know, I would hope that there's more resources and more opportunities out there for young survivors to meet other people and meet somebody who has survived, like, you know, a few years. I mean, that's so inspirational to, to not only talk to people that are going through it right now, but people that are a few years out. It's like, I'm looking at them and saying, like, they've made it. Yeah. They've made it. They've continued on with their lives. And You know, I can do that too.
1: I agree that support and connection are so important. This is a perfect time for you to plug some of the resources that LLS offers as far as support and connection for our patients. So I already mentioned the Patty Robinson Coffin First Connection Program, but we also have online chats that are moderated by an oncology social worker. So you can go on and you can talk about. They're separated by disease groups and also there's a young adult chat for our young adult patients. We have an online patient support forum called LLS Community and that kind of works as a social media site. We um, publish a lot of educational resources in there but it also mostly functions as a platform for patients to talk to each other. We have patients from all over the world on the community and again we have a young adult group. You will be auto joined to your diagnosis group but you can also find groups that interest you as well. So if you want to talk to other young adult patients, you can go there as well. And we also, of course, have in-person support groups. And then we also have our information resource center where you can call and speak to a master's level social worker or nurse who can help you navigate some of the trickier aspects of cancer, such as financial support and other resources. All of this stuff can be found on our website at www.lls.org. Please For those of you who are listening, feel free to browse around and look for the support options that work for you. We have so many available and we we want to be there for you. Elisa, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It was wonderful having you on here and sharing your story. So, and I'm sure that all of our listeners at home appreciate it as well. Thank you. This was wonderful.